Do not be deceived, James says, chapter 1, verse 16. I always point out that that is, anywhere you see that in the scripture, that is God's warning that there is a strong possibility that you could be deceived. He stands these signs right up to slap us in the face. You know, bong, don't be deceived. So what follows must include an explanation of how we could be deceived. So be not deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Okay. So if you flip it over and read the other side of this in the negative, what he's saying is negative bad things don't come from God. Right? You know, everything I just talked about, consider it in light of God's intention there. Now talk about it generally under the principle, right? Our insurance companies... When the tornado rips through town, destroys everything you own, and dumps it in the middle of some fiery thing, and it's all gone, they say, well, that was an act of God. Well, no. <laughs> it's the good things, right, that come from God. In your life, as believers, God is doing good things. You know, the, the world says, how could a loving God send people to hell? Well, he actually doesn't. Right? He created hell for the devil and the angels. You were created eternal. You're going to live forever. If you reject him, then there's only one other place for you. You're choosing, even if you're not choosing hell, you're choosing to say, I reject God. So God isn't doing that as much as we are doing that. That is the choice. And uh, for clarity's sake, right? Children are exempt from this. The innocent are exempt from this, according to the scripture, right? David's child dies. He's in profound mourning as the child's life deteriorates. Child passes away. He washes his face, gets up, starts eating. All of his servants are like, you're messed up. The kid was sick, and you're in mourning. And now that he's dead, you're like almost rejoicing. And David makes the statement of, right, that child can't ever come to me again, but I will someday go to him. Child's already in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> this is how the Lord can say to Saul, I want you to go to the Amalekites and kill all of them. Men, women, children, and infants. Because they're so incredibly wicked that he needs to wipe out that race. No? Saul does not do it. Who, who are the Amalekites throughout history? Right? They rise up at the occasion of Esther and try to destroy the nation of Israel. And then even at Jesus Christ's birth, Herod is a descendant of King Agag and tries to kill all of the children in Bethlehem, or he does, under two years of age, trying to annihilate Jesus. 
Because Saul disobeyed the Lord, the line of the uh, you know King Agag continues and continues to produce very deadly things. You know, God you know shows us His compassion with Jonah in not wanting to kill the children when He's saying. You know, there's 125,000 children in that city that don't even know their left hand from their right hand, which the way he said, he doesn't say children. He said there's 125,000 in the city that don't even have the capacity to know their left hand from their right hand, which also includes those who, through mental capacity, might not be able to know their left hand from their right hand, right? The innocence, right? We, we might say the age of accountability or the intellect of accountability, Right. So, so, you know, God doesn't produce and give us bad things, even as we count them. Right. Because here he's talking, James is talking to people that are being scattered all over the world. Right. Persecuted. And he's saying, don't be deceived. God doesn't give you bad things. Our circumstances sometimes can be very bad. And we have the perception that somehow God is bad. And, and like I just quoted Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts, I think, towards you. Right? Because that's really what people are saying is, I know how God thinks. He does evil things. And God is saying, no, this might feel really bad, Job. But my intention is to refine you as gold. It's not pleasant, right, to be run feet first through the meat grinder. But God's purification process, I want what's on the other side. I want the purification. I want the wisdom. I want the maturity. I want what James says earlier in the chapter. I want the completion that Christ desires for me. So don't let your circumstances deceive you into thinking God is evil, right? My wife is the most painful optimistic you've ever met. Just, you know, could be absolute tragedy. And she's like, God intends it for good. You just, you want to choke people like that because it just, you know, in the moment it feels terrible, you know, but, you know, she, she is correct. God's intentions are good, and we need to guard our hearts against those things. And that's why it says there's no variation or shadow of turning. He's not really, really, really good yesterday and really, really, really evil today, or even mildly evil today, right? Oh, I enjoyed him yesterday. It was wonderful. The sun was shining, you know. They doubled my paycheck. My coffee was just right. I didn't have to work. Feet were in the sand. It was great. You know, and today, fire and brimstone and welts and sores and, you know, it's just miserable and God is accursed. <laughs> Not so. Not so. And the sooner that I learn that, then the quicker my circumstances turn around too. So consider what he might be trying to teach us in those moments. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First fruits doesn't, well, I was going to say it doesn't at all. It doesn't have the idea of 
uh, numerical order. Okay, that might be the case, but it's not what he's. It's the choice, the best, right? Grade A, we might say. You know, so first fruits, <laughs> the, the 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 best. That's actually what the Lord is saying about tithing. You know, when when they harvest. He's saying, I want one-tenth of the first fruits. He doesn't say, go out and start harvesting in the low area where it's wet and marshy and produces bad things. And, uh, you know, whatever comes in first, bring me one-tenth of that. He's saying, no, where's the choice portion of your crop? Go to the best place, harvest of the absolute best, and I want one-tenth of that. Right, we we appreciate it when he's saying you guys are the choice. You're the first fruits of of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to pe- speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Since all that you're experiencing is God's intention, and He is good. You might need to slow down and not react to what appears to be bad circumstances or bad people or circumstances or people that would make you blow a gasket. Slow down, right? Oh, that's so hard to do, right? It just accelerates the blood pressure, pushes you right over the top, makes you want to pop. And he's saying, slow down. Think it through. I was taught early on in my walk with the Lord, it's much wiser to say the second thing that comes to mind. Or third or fourth. You know. People say that, don't they? Hotheads very often. I got to speak my mind. I can't do anything but speak my mind. Well, Proverbs says that the fool speaks his whole mind. We, we we might want to take enough time to process and think and slow down. I can tell you this, right? I don't always do it. Pray for me, you know. Years ago, I would have to, I would have had to say to you, I rarely do it. I don't. I thank goodness. I thank God. I don't have to say that anymore. I don't have to say it's rare, right? I do have to say it's not always. To be truthful. But how about this, you guys? I think any, every one of us can identify with the fact that the occasions where we have slowed down enough to think and pray and hear from the Lord that what we did in responding, right, versus reacting, and there is a profound difference, is there not, right? responding, right? Because response might mean you go an entirely different direction. Reacting is like that old scientific thing, right? Equal opposite direction, <laughs> you know? That, that rarely is the correct answer. Slow is, is what we're being encouraged to do here thoughtful right slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god i can confirm 
that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I cannot tell you all of the details behind why I know that, because most of it is rated R due to the violence involved in the circumstances. You know what I'm saying? It just, in the language. And, the, you know, it's just ridiculous the things that we do out of human nature. And, you know, I say the violence and the language, you know, very often I've got enough control that the violence and the language isn't mine, but the wrath maybe was, and I produced in someone else the violence and the, the rage and the, the language. Slow down, you know. I'll tell you where this is most fruitful is in your family. Uh, man, I used to argue with my wife, my poor dear wife. And I had a mentor that took me aside many years ago and said, hey, you know something? There are many, 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 many things in your marriage that are more important than being right. Oh, it sounds so profound right now. In the moment, I reacted with the tone that basically said, you're dead wrong. <laughs> That's not true. There's no way. Because I'm right. And wow, have I learned over the years how meaningless that is. So what's your right? Who cares? It's not producing anything good in your life, in your family, in your circumstances right now, right? That whole thing the old timers used to say, you can be so right that you're dead right, you know? Try that out on teenagers and see how it works, you know? That's not bad enough. Try it out on three teenage girls at the same time. My daughters still to this day hold against me an occasion where I drove through the McDonald's drive-thru without purchasing anything and out the other side and home. I'd spent all my money on them all day and they're running their mouths. I think I've shared this before about you know, you could stop and get us some dinner. We're like two and a half miles from the house. Refrigerator's full of food. And they're embarrassing me in front of their friends. And I say, no, I'm not stopping. And they insist and whine and cry. And now the insults are coming. And with that, they say, least you could do is just drive through the drive-thru. And I said, just drive through the drive-thru? And they said, yeah, just drive through the drive-thru. I said, all right, man. We had to sit in line and wait for the cars to pull ahead. And the time came, and I just drove through and out the other side, around, and the car went dead silent. And my world was dead silent for like three days. Oh, I was right. Dead right. So dead right I offended people. To this day, you know, they're adults. They have families. They have their own children. I bring that up and they go silent again. 
pray for them, pray for me, pray for the scars, you know, I just, anyway. That's just one example that I can share with you. There are others I can't, you know. The the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And we learn these lessons so profoundly. Better to just sit here, right, in class, (laughs) take the notes and go, yeah, I'm going to apply that. You can go out and learn it experientially. It's very painful and very costly. So take it to heart. 19. Uh, I'm sorry, 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, and that's um, both the idea of worldliness, but there is a sensuality in that. It has a sexual tone, so... Um, it's not just sexual. It is the idea of just general worldliness. Uh, this doesn't um, involve, you know, directly a bar of soap. <laughs> you know, this is this is literally talking about the spiritual, the moral aspects of this. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Um, uh, overflow. Uh, the sense uh, that something is like super saturated to the point where you know sort of a visualization is if you pick it up it would just be like running out of it you know what i'm saying you know maybe you've picked up a sponge that's just like fully saturated soaked and it just runs out so the idea of you know the overflow of wickedness it should give you sort of a cringe and receive with meekness the implanted word Think about that contrast. The filthiness and the weak, the, the wickedness uh, needs to be the implanted word. Um, I, uh, one of the few pastors that have mentored me over the years, I, I had uh, called him up uh, in my uh, early 20s, 20, 20 years old. And uh, I, I was just like sick of myself and went over to talk and just like, poured out all this filthiness of, I just can't stand myself. I'm just, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm trying to live as a Christian. And I just, you know, all this, you know, it's the same old stuff that is my flesh and I just can't get rid of it. And I just, what am I going to do was my sense of, you know, communication. He listened for a long time. We're standing in his kitchen and, uh, next to us was, uh, an iced coffee that, uh, somebody had not drank and it was completely melted, just black liquid in that cup and he picked it up and put it in the sink and said well that's that's you let's say that's you filthy overflowing with the black filth of who you are and he just turned the faucet on just just a a small steady stream and said it's like this is the word of god and, and what you need to do is, you know, you, you've got the sense that you're expressing to me that you want to take all your filthiness and dump it out and be instantly pure and refilled. He said, the problem is you're going to be 100% full all the time. And what you need to have happen is you need to let that steady stream flow into your life. And by you know, by the time he's saying this, it's already overflowing, and it's it's you can see the purity is coming. And before we're done talking, it's just clear water. And he's saying that's what you need to do. And he said, Don't ever take yourself out from underneath the flow. 
because you'll fill back up with the same worldly junk. So just stay in the place. You know, the, the, the filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. Instead, you know, with the meekness, receive the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. What a remarkable thing that he's saying, right? Because Romans 10, 17 tells us, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. It is the word of God that's so needed and so central. So, uh, you know, receive it. If you're, if you're in that place of despair and you can't believe yourself, let the word of God flow. Let, let it be in your life. I would say especially, you know, starting the day in the word and ending the day in the word is so critical. It's so critical, right? Wherever you start your day tends to, it's not always, but it tends to set the tone for the rest of your day. You know, and if that's just in busyness and neglect of the word and hurry, then, you know, even if that's all that that sinfulness produces of busyness and neglect of the word and, and worry, if that's the earmark of your day, oh, that stinks. And I mean that, you know, again, experientially. Starting in the word, an intentness to hear his voice and uh, allow him to minister to you. He, he gives contrast, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. There it is again right be not deceived and then you come to this point and you can deceive yourself there's something something desperately wrong if you can deceive yourself if you can trick yourself there's something wrong with your mind it's just you know if you can pull the wool over somebody else's eyes i suppose that's one thing but if you can pull the wool over your own eyes it just i don't know man, man maybe you got a mental problem right or at least a spiritual problem. Probably a spiritual problem that results in a mental problem. If you can deceive yourself. That's dangerous. Dangerous business. And yet, we are capable of it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And this is the sense of you, your face is messed up, like filthy and dirty and disgusting. So you look in the mirror and you're shocked. You just can't believe, you know, I had no idea that I had that smeared all over my face. What in the world happened? And the moment you step away from the word, what? What problem? Right? And he's saying, you know, within looking at the word and not applying it, not living according to it, it's the same deception. You can look right at the word and not make corrections, then, then you need to analyze that you are a hearer of the word and not a doer. Yeah. If if someone, you know, coming to church and they deliver the word to you and you're like, oh, that's where I'm at. I need to make changes. And you leave and make no changes. 
live the same, then you're under that conviction. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, now let's clarify liberty before we move on, right? Because this is freedom from. We've talked about it many times. It's not freedom to, as so many imply. It's freedom from sin, freedom from the flesh, freedom from worldliness. It's not freedom to do these things, to sin. It's not freedom. Oh, the liberty of Christ, some preach. You know, I just do whatever. God, you know, I'm, I'm under God's grace. No, no, God's grace gave you liberty from these things. God's grace does not give you liberty to experience these things. You have been set free. Stay inside the prison cell that Christ has unlocked for you. Oh, that's not wise. <laughs> you know, the door's wide open, man. It's time to leave. Oh, I like it in here. It's comfortable. Christ is giving me liberty to stay in here. Not really. Not really. He gave his life to get into this prison and unlock your cell and give you the opportunity to be free. Right? Romans 6 begins verse 16. What then shall we continue to or 6 1? What then shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If you've been freed from it, it's time to leave. Not stay there. So, you know, you, you have to leave these things. You not stay in them. Uh, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. I want to take the time right here. Um, you might want to make note of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 right here. Because um, the cessationists, totally separate subject. I'm just jumping to the rabbit trail here. But the cessationists that say that prophecy and tongues are not for today, that they have ceased and that they are no more, they use that passage in James where it says, when the perfect has come, then the imperfect will be done away with. right? And then Paul says, for now we see dimly as in a mirror. Okay? Uh, dimly in a mirror is that hand-hammered metal mirror of Paul's day, highly polished, usually brass, that didn't give you a nice, smooth, clear reflection. You had to sort of tilt it around, and you would get a sense of, oh, okay, I look okay. I'm not completely hideous. I can go out. You know, It wasn't that fine reflection of, of the refined mirror's we have today. And Paul is saying right now as believers, that's how we see the kingdom is as in a mirror. Right. And and it's literally it's a literal explanation in that right now everything's backwards. Right. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, how do you become the greatest? By becoming the least. Opposite direction. You want to become the greatest? You got to become the least. You want to live in this world? You got to die. Right? Everything is opposite direction, like a mirror. Okay, When we have stepped into the kingdom, our hearts will be changed. As it says there in 1 Corinthians, 
then we will know just as we are known. Things will not be reverse. So you will see Christ and understand. Your heart will automatically, you won't have to do a mechanical adjustment, right? You know, where, oh, you know, somebody's in my face right now. The best thing I can do is rather than react in the flesh, I will, you know, let this rage calm down in my heart and I will react to them in love. The opposite of what your flesh wants to do, right? How am I going to win this, right? I'm going to overcome evil with good. You know, in a worldly sense, how do you overcome evil? With evil. You fight fire with fire. You know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's the worldly sense of things. Okay? A godly sense of thing is go the opposite direction. When the perfect has come, we will know things in a one-for-one, one, a face-to-face -face way. It'll no longer be that mechanical reversal. Right? When you are in the presence of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be overwhelmed with rage. When someone else is overwhelmed with rage, the love of Christ will permeate all things, and you will be able to react properly. The world will be filled with righteousness. Right? So my point within this, here James is saying the same thing about the Word of God being like a mirror, backwards, reversed. We aren't in the place yet where we do not need the gifts of the Spirit in the church. Because we still see things backwards. We're not face to face yet. Uh, you know, having a conversation about this recently um, gift of prophecy. Um, I, I Listen. I am not a prophet, okay? There, there's a class, a position of prophet. I'm not trying to imply I'm a prophet at all. I'll give you one example. I could sit here the rest of the night and give you many, many, many examples. But <clears throat> Sean Darby was part of Calvary Chapel years ago. And he's sort of infamous locally, fighter boxer, mixed martial arts, and uh, we all love Sean, and, uh, you know, dramatic conversion, but then drifted away, and, you know, pull him back in, and drift away, and pull him back in, and drift away, and then he disappear. and a uh, year and a half had passed, haven't seen Sean, and uh, the Lord starts speaking to me. Moved from Bangor. I'm down here doing ministry. Lord's speaking to me about Sean Darby all day. And it gets to the point where he's like pressing on me about find Sean, speak to Sean, invite Sean back into the kingdom. Well, I don't know. I year and a half. I don't know where the guy is. And I start making phone calls. And we go, we got like end of the afternoon. I've finally, I didn't even know he had gotten divorced, right? I, I find his wife, his ex-wife. She gives me a phone number. I've been through like a dozen people. So I call Sean finally. And how are you doing? And I'm doing terrible. I said, man, you need to just come back to the Lord. I can't. Sin in my life and... 
things are a mess and I'm working as a bouncer at this bar and just, I'm like, dude, forget all of that. Just come back to church. Christ will take you just the way you are. Just come now. Don't, you know, you know how it is, right? We get that thing like I need to get stuff straightened out in my life and then I'll go back. And really what it is is we need to just go back and then get things straightened out in our life, right? And I just, come on, man, you need to come back to the Lord. And he does that thing. We talk for almost an hour. And by the time I'm done, you know, I've just beat the dead horse. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm coming back, man. I promise soon. Four hours later, he runs into my pastor, Ken Graves, for the first time in like a year and a half at the Bangor Mall, who spends a big chunk of time with him saying the same thing. Come back now. The Lord wants you. Surrender. Forget about all that other stuff. It doesn't matter. Just return to the Lord. Four hours later, Sean's dead. Haven't spoken to him in a year and a half. Hunt him down and deliver the message of God's free invitation of come back now. Eight hours before he passed away. Four hours before he passed away. Put my pastor in his path to say the same thing four hours later. He's in eternity. Prophecy. God's messenger, God's messengers sent to declare his message. Right? Here we're being told the word of God is like a mirror. And when you go through the scripture, and particularly when you're in Corinthians, and it's saying that that right now we see as a mirror. When the perfect has come, that mirror will be done away with. I say to you, the mirror of God's word has not been done away with. We are still in that mode of function. Therefore, the gifts of the Spirit are still needed today. And I say to you that it is blasphemous to teach that those gifts have ended and that the church should not look for them. Maybe it's not going to be your gift, right? Maybe your gift is helping people. Okay, that's literally listed as one of the gifts. And Paul even says, right, do all speak in tongues? And whenever in Greek it's questioned in the negative rhetorical, then the answer is negative. Do all speak in tongues? The answer is no. Do all prophesy? No. Do all have the gifts of helps? No. The gifts of administration? No. But you do, brothers and sisters, need to seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. And this verse, right, how many times have I said to us all, the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God. Once again, this is one of those texts, a proof text that we can pull out of here and couple together with 1 Corinthians and understand that until the Word of God stops functioning like a mirror, until you see the perfect, I submit to you that the perfect is Jesus Christ. 
until you see the perfect face to face, until you know it all still feels like a, a mirror backwards, right? I'll just give you another quick example, right? When the world is taking advantage of you, when you're being tread upon, when people are stabbing you in the back, our tendency, right, is to look out for number one. To fight back against people that would do that. And Christ tells us to serve them. That's backwards. <laughs> That's the mirror. That's the mirror that we have to use. God's word. So, again, I go over these things over and over. You need to look for the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to. You say, I don't want to speak in tongues. I've seen those people. They're weirdos. Maybe you need to speak in tongues so that you'll believe the power of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit work in other areas of your life. Maybe not, but maybe so. No, I'm, I'm going to just stay on this rabbit trail. Forgive me. Uh, don't forgive me. Just stay with me. <clears throat> I've talked to brothers who say the gifts were for a time in the past. They aren't anymore. I get on the subject of prophecy, like I just did, and I'll say to them, okay, well, how about this? Have you ever sat in church and the Lord puts someone in the service on your heart? and begins to speak to you from the word about, hey, when this is over, you go over there and you share this verse with that brother. Right? If you've done it, and you've experienced, you've obeyed God, and you've, you've been mowing your lawn, and you've picked up the phone and called brother, sister, so-and-so, and said, hey, the Lord just laid it on my heart to call you. How are things? And let me share with you what the Lord just shared with me. If you've ever done that, and you've seen the impact in their life, right? Those brothers and sisters will often say, yeah, okay, I can recognize that. That's a move of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you do, in fact, through practicality, believe in prophecy. You're hearing the leading of the Holy Spirit to speak on his behalf and sharing the word of God with somebody. You're speaking on behalf of God to them. So you in fact do. And you say, well, that's the gift of prophecy. Well, no, I don't believe in the gift of prophecy. You just said you did. Right? Now go a step further with me. If, if you are willing to in that moment, you got to think about how crazy that is. How in the world, you're saying, I just heard from God. If you heard the passage and the voice and you made the phone call, you're saying, I just heard God speak to me. And then I obeyed what he told me to do. And I spoke without knowing, right? Because that person didn't call you up and say, hey, I'm deeply in need, I'm very depressed, and if you could just find verses that pertain to those things and call me, that would be very helpful. So get back to me, man, you know, and hang up. You had no idea, right? You had no earthly knowledge, and yet you believed enough to obey that you were being led of the Holy Spirit. Why can't you believe that you're being led to speak words you don't understand? 
speak in tongues. If you can believe that the Lord would lead you, you say, well, I don't understand that. I don't understand the concept and I don't understand what I'm saying. You don't understand the concept when you cons- when you contact somebody and you don't understand what you're saying into their heart, their mind, and their life when you say that. Now I'll get a little abstract with the discussion. Who is your biggest enemy spiritually? I'll answer it for you. You are. Do you agree with that concept? Yes, maybe devils, right? But they aren't omnipresent. You're with you all the time. And you are your biggest problem. Okay? Would you agree, as the scripture says, that the flesh is at war with the spirit? I hope you agree with that concept. Child of God, born of the spirit inside the flesh. The flesh knows the language you speak. The Spirit speaks to God, is what Paul said. So my submission to you is, in modern vernacular, when you pray in tongues, it's the child of God's encrypted language. You're speaking to headquarters, and they're relaying messages to you on the battlefield that only the child of God can understand. And the flesh has nothing to do with it. It has zero understanding. Paul says we must be built up in the inner man. Maybe you can't embrace this whole concept, but take the bits and pieces that I've just given you and go pray about what the Lord might be saying to you. Imagine if you could pray for 15 minutes straight, a half hour straight, an hour, two hours straight. Imagine how that would build you up. Maybe you could pray for that long if it were in a prayer language. I have found little to no purpose for my speaking in tongues and prayer language in the church which is what Paul said, that that he would rather speak five words with understanding right, than thousands in a tongue. I think all of you know how, how much I am uh, concerned about accuracy of communication and wanting to relay... Uh, subjects and circumstances as well as I possibly can. But I equally endorse the concept, if you're not getting anything else, the need for the power of the Holy Spirit in the church today. It is so profoundly needed. So seek the Lord. Let Him speak to your heart. And we're way out of time. So shall we pray? And uh, let the Lord minister to us. And I covered almost no ground in in this passage. But uh, hopefully the, the biblical concepts of what we're looking at are touching your heart and ministering to you. Father, we thank you very much again uh, for your word. I pray that you would take these ramblings 
from the discussion of the COVID shot all the way to the need for the Holy Spirit. I pray that it would minister to each of us as your children and that you would accomplish in our lives and with our lives what you want us to. Help us to to surrender ourselves to you in a way that is useful to you. Help us to relinquish our own agenda, whatever that may be, and to adopt yours and to be fruitful to you. The choice fruits, the first fruits, that it would be a great blessing to your heart and your mind. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.